If I'm talking about, you know, academic misconduct, or if I'm talking about value in community and the value in cultivating uh, an affinity for the institution, students will hear me say that. And although I can say it in a very authentic way, students will interpret that as, well, I mean, you're the dean of students. Like, that's what you're supposed to say. Welcome to In Your Element, a podcast on the Enrollify Podcast Network, brought to you by Element 451, an advanced student engagement CRM providing higher ed institutions with a competitive advantage from recruitment to enrollment and beyond. On each show, we ask five questions about current challenges, exciting opportunities, and what's next in higher education. I'm your co-host, Aaron Newton, and along with Artis Kadu, we welcome University of Oregon Dean of Students, Marcus Langford. Diversity, equity, and inclusion have been hot topics on campuses and throughout the world in recent years. So how have higher ed institutions evolved to make sure DEI is a priority, both in enrollment and throughout the education process? That's what we'll be diving into today. For Marcus, his higher education path started in a pretty unusual way with him as a Miami of Ohio freshman, thinking of dropping out or transferring. And I tell folks all the time that I went into that with nefarious purposes. Uh, and, and so uh, my goal, you know, in my 18-year-old mind was to be an orientation leader. And I was going to be the orientation leader, you know, that kind of kept it real, let everybody know that, you know, this place was OK, but it wasn't like the greatest. And so as you can imagine what happened, uh, I applied, was miraculously accepted and had a fantastic experience. Uh, I got connected to that institution in a way that I previously had not been connected. Got connected to the faculty, got connected to the staff, uh, got connected to other students, and it radically shifted my perspective and experience. Marcus stayed at Miami even through graduate school. He then went on to roles at Oregon State University, Rhodes College, University of Cincinnati, and ultimately the University of Oregon, where he was named Dean of Students in July of 2021. To start our conversation, we asked Marcus how COVID has impacted enrollment. I think one, it has forced us to think outside of the box. It's, it's forced us to think uh, bigger. It's forced us to think more broadly, and it's forced us to move beyond, uh, you know, these traditional notions of we've always done it this way, or getting students involved on campus always or has to look like X, Y, or Z. And so we're we're trying to engage students. But what does that really mean? Uh, you know, are we trying to help students, you know, kind of cultivate connections? Are we trying to help students uh, cultivate relationships? Uh, are we trying to help students develop an affinity for or to, you know, this institution or place? And so from my perspective, again, you know, the pandemic has uh, forced us to really think about and articulate what we mean when we say student engagement. It, it's not always about, you know, this notion of, you know, kind of getting students together and you know, showing a movie, or it's not always about getting students together and giving, uh, you know, free pizza or giving a free t-shirt. 
you know, again, it's really forced us to think about what it is that we're trying to do. Uh, and then once we zero in on that, think about ways in which we can do that, uh, that we historically haven't done. And so uh, I would also say that, you know, the pandemic has really, um, you know, encouraged us to think about the necessity of leveraging digital platforms, you know, in terms of engaging students. And that's something that I think students uh, have, you know, kind of been aware of and attuned to. But I would say, I don't know if we as faculty and staff have been uh, as invested in that in the way that we probably should have or could have. And so I, I think the pandemic has somewhat accelerated that as well. Marcus, one of the things that we try to define is this word engagement. And when it comes to student engagement, it can mean a lot of different things to different people. What does it mean to you and what does it mean to Oregon when you talk about student engagement? I'm going to go with Oregon first. Uh, I, I would say that I think that's a conversation, you know, that we're still having in, you know, kind of pockets of the institution. I don't know if I am at a place right now where I can say that, you know, engagement at the University of Oregon means X, Y, and Z. I think elements of engagement is around uh, helping students develop and have an affinity for the institution. Uh, I think engagement includes helping students have a sense of belonging. I, I think engagement also includes opportunities where students can make connections to others. So th those are, from my perspective, I, I think I would say three of uh, the most critical pieces of, of, of engagement. So it's all about building relationships or strengthening those relationships. Mm -hmm. How do you foster diversity, equity, and inclusion when there's so much polarization in the world and in higher ed? To be honest, I, I think that's something that we as institutions are still wrestling with. I think one of the things that I would say is I think there is value in being exposed to multiple perspectives. And so I, I think one of the ways in which, you know, we support the advancement of diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, is to continue to think about, you know, the voices and the experiences that we are elevating and investing. And so, you know, when we think about, you know, speakers and when we think about experiences uh, that we bring to campus and we, when we think about opportunities, uh, ensuring that we are kind of widening the canon, if you will. And so if I can lean on my English background for a little bit, oftentimes when we think about issues related to engagement or when we think about ways uh, to help students be involved or engaged. In my experience, we typically uh, do that from a very limited perspective. And, and so research has shown us that oftentimes when institutions define what engagement looks like or what engagement means, I, I'll be pretty transparent that we do that from the perspective of what's good and what white male students typically do. And so I, I think part of the way of one, helping more students be engaged, but then also enhancing issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion is to expand, you know, our canon a little bit. So let, let's expand what engagement means and looks like for 
different groups of students. And, and one of the ways we can do that, uh, again, is to, to kind of expand what our conceptualizations of, of uh, you know, engagement and diversity, equity and inclusion is. And so, uh, you know, that's one of the ways in which that I, I would say that we expand uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is we try to add different experiences and different perspectives to some of the things that we're doing uh, and some of the things that we're offering on campus. A lot of times we talk about DEI as being something that that we need to include in, in everything that we do, but we all know that unless there is some guardrails that we put in place or there's initiatives that we put in place, it's very hard to change culture or to change outcomes. So a lot of institutions that we see, they have included DEI officers as part of their engagement or student affairs as part of their... So I guess that's where that question was coming about. Is there a trend in how DEI is included and embedded as part of your day-to-day or as part of your business of do- of student affairs? Or maybe it was always yeah. there. What I would say is I, I think moving forward, we have been and we do need to be more intentional about expanding access to our programs and expanding the scale and scope of our programs. And so in, in terms of integrating DEI into our work, Conduct and community standards, for example. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've been doing lately is we've started to walk down this road of looking at, let's be honest, or let's look at uh, why there is a disproportionate impact or disproportionate involvement of students of color in our conduct process. Uh, and, and so, what is it about our procedures, or what is it about you know our interpretation? Uh, or what is it about our application, uh, you know, of the conduct code that gets us to a place where, you know, students of color are being more adversely impacted by uh, our conduct processes? You know, another example is within our crisis intervention work. Uh, and so we have a, a, a group of folks who work with students who are in uh, crisis. Uh, and so one of the things that, you know, we know is that all students experience some form of crisis at some point in their experience. But when we look at statistics, we're finding that historically our students from underrepresented and historically marginalized identities typically avail themselves to our crisis support services at a smaller rate. Why is that? So when we know that all students experience crisis at some point, what is it about the overall design and or implementation of our services that make them potentially less attractive to students from historically marginalized identities that may need our support? And so one of the things that we are looking forward to doing as we go into this year is uh, we're kind of creating programs where we are going to put uh, crisis intervention staff at places across campus where students from those populations are. So we, we are going to move to a model where our crisis staff are now going to spend time at the Black Cultural Center. We're going to move to a model where some of our crisis staff are going to spend time at the Multicultural Center. 
we're going to move forward with ensuring that our crisis staff have time to work with and have some specific conversations with our coordinator of multicultural student success and engagement and our coordinator of LGBT education and support. So those folks can inform the work that our crisis staff uh, are doing in an effort, again, to kind of expand, you know, the, the, the range of their services. So I think those are just two ways that I would point to some of the work that we right. and the Dean of Students Office at the University of Oregon are really trying to lean into, uh, you know, conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion and how we can be uh, better and more intentional about bringing that work into what we're doing on a daily basis. Yeah. That's really relevant as we see it every day on the admission side, as those underrepresented populations are the ones who need more handholding and mm -hmm. need a little bit more, like they they tend to fall off the funnel or the process a lot faster than somebody who has a little bit more support. So that additional support and finding them. And with the pandemic, what's happening also is that support system on the high school level uh, with the counselors and, and essentially being there in person, it's no longer there. So it's like, how mm -hmm. do you get to them? How do you, if they're not in physically in school, how do you get to those communities and how do you kind of push them along? It goes back to the engagement piece too, where maybe exactly. back in the day would be like, okay, we're going to have an initiative and we're going to, this is what we're doing. But now it's, okay, now let's actually see, go, and also involving more data and actually what's going on rather than presuming why why aren't these students um, availing of these resources and then actually having a plan to do something and enacting that plan. I think one of the things that I would say we need to be better about within higher ed is really integrating uh, student voice and student perspective in what it is that, that we are trying to do. I've come to the realization that my understanding and conception of what students want, need, and are looking for is oftentimes very different than students' own conceptualizations of what they want, what they need, and what they are looking for. And so as a result of that, I feel that we as institutions of higher education really need to be more mindful uh, and intentional about identifying and cultivating and integrating student voice and perspective into what it is that we're trying to do. I know one of the questions was around comments that I've made in the past about emails and, you know, students not reading emails. You know, it's not necessarily that students, you know, don't read emails. I, I think it's two things that are connected to that. One is I would say that we aren't finding ways to make what we're sending to students relevant uh, to them. And if something is delivered, in a way they can't ascertain its relevance quickly. It just gets pushed to the wayside. And then kind of the second thing connected, you know, to my email rant is we send oftentimes things that are entirely too text 
heavy. And I, I, I think sometimes there is the reluctance to figure out how to scale some of that stuff down. Because again, in, in, in my mind, in our mind, it's, well, this is all important information and we need to make sure you know that we get this out to students. And I, I get that and I understand that, but when these students get these text dense and these text heavy emails, like they just aren't gonna pay attention to it. And so again, uh, you know, how can we figure out ways to get this information to students in ways that's attractive, appealing, and relevant to them? And part of that, again, I go back to, we have to find ways to get students, you know, to kind of help us think about what that can and should look like. Right student, right message, right time. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, that, that, that's the trifecta. And I, I think if you can get, you know, those things in alignment, that is, you know, what will kind of get us from one place to another, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, students either not knowing or not responding to what it is that we're trying to get them to know or to respond to. And the, the walls of uh, text and the emails, it reminds me of walls of text on websites and how it's just that immediate blocker that Mm -hmm. engagement or just communicating is just Mm -hmm. all that much more difficult people just tune out and being aware of that yeah so marcus what are you doing on your campus right now at oregon to to get in front of these students so we talked about the di some of the di initiatives that you're doing but what's your favorite engagement channel with your students so we have a, I can't remember how often it goes out, uh, but there's a, like a, a message that goes out to students, but they've reframed it as quick quacks. Uh, and, and so instead of, you know, an email with all of, you know, kind of the text heavy things, it's been reformatted to where it's almost kind of like the, the Twitter feed, uh, you know, type of things. And so, you know, they've refocused and, uh, you know, it's the headline and it's a couple of, uh, you know, salient points. And, you know, if you're interested, click on it. And that takes you to something else where it gives you a little bit more uh, detail. And my understanding based on a conversation that I've had with uh, some of our communications folks is our click rates uh, and our open rates have been off the roof. I think another thing I'm pretty excited about, uh, so I'll, I'll go back to conduct again. And so students really don't get jazzed about thinking about the conduct code and academic dishonesty and whatnot. And so I've recently been in a conversation with some of our conduct staff and they are in the process of hiring, uh, they hire a student to make, you know, kind of like TikToks and, you know, videos about some of these relevant things like the academic misconduct policy and whatnot. Yes, I can go on Twitter and, you know, I can have a, a, a TikTok and I can be on Instagram. Uh, but I, I would say the the way in which, you know, I communicate, if I was trying to talk about academic dishonesty, it just wouldn't hit the same, uh, you know, as if we, again, hire a student to do that. So I, I think those are some of the approaches uh, that we're trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to, to, to do uh, in a re- really meaningful and authentic way uh, here at UO uh, as well. It kind of reminds me of, uh, Marcus, when you were talking about your approach mm-hmm. when you were going to be working at admissions as a student. Mm-hmm. 
that it would be like the the real mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. authentic that, that just carries through that that was you know what what students yeah. want there's some fundamentals i think of what people relate to yeah i, I mean I, I would say authenticity is is really important i consider myself a, a very uh you know authentic person uh but i i think authenticity and credibility those are things that we need to think about whenever we're figuring out, uh, you know, how to put messages uh, in front of students. We all know, uh, well, I say we all know, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's a known quantity, but I would say in my experience, students see other students as credible, as, as more credible. And so again, you know, if, if, if I'm talking about, you know, academic misconduct, or if I'm talking about value in community and the value in cultivating uh, an affinity for the institution, students will hear me say that. And although I can say it in a very authentic way, students will interpret that as, well, I mean, you're the dean of students. Like, that's what you're supposed to say. So while my credibility level may have been like at like a two, you know, if another student says the same thing, the credibility, you know, kind of factor or level, and I'm, I'm somewhat making these numbers up, but like the credibility factor when another student says the exact same thing, it goes up to like a seven out of 10 or an eight out of 10, as opposed to like a two out of 10 when I say it again, because as a dean of students, I'm delivering the company line. And so I, I think those are things that we need to be mindful of as institutions. Uh, again, when we think about, you know, what are these messages and, and how are they being uh, delivered? I, I, I go back to, can we figure out ways uh, to integrate, you know, kind of student voice and student perspective and even student presence in some of the things that we're trying to communicate. How do you ensure that students reach their their goals and kind of the institution's goals? I, I think part of, you know, persistence is about helping students cultivate a sense of belonging. And, and so, you know, students are more likely to persist when they feel like they belong at our institutions. And so for me, persistence is really connected to helping students find ways to, to develop uh, and have a sense of, of belonging. Like, yeah, you know, we can help students fit in and, and, you know, we can help students connect. But for me, you know, this, this notion of sense of belonging, that's a little deeper. And, and so for me, I, I think... Uh, persistence is connected to being intentional about cultivating ways for students to develop and really feel and experience a sense of belonging. Uh, and, and so, you know, some of that will be around cultivating relationships with other students. Uh, you know, some of that will be around helping them develop a connection to, you know, the academic program or what it is that they're doing. And and so I I think figuring out, you know, what are some of the many ways that we can help students cultivate a sense of belonging. In my experience, if you're able to do that, that will have uh, an absolute impact on persistence. Again, because students will want to come back and students will want to be here if they feel like they belong. How, how do you see mental health playing a role in that belonging currently, given that we've all gone remote 
And how does that translate from being on campus, being in that stadium, everybody rooting, go Ducks, right? And then now you go online. How, how does that transfer? So one of the things that, that we've been talking about, you know, is this, this notion of an ethic of care. I would say it's become a little more common for us to kind of operate with grace uh, and give folks a, a benefit of the doubt. You know, kind of artists, getting back to your point around mental health, you know, there's there's been kind of this increased focus on recognizing, you know, that like we all are in this incredibly challenging and, and difficult place and that we all have, you know, a lot going on and weighing on our minds. And so moving forward, part of the conversations that I've had is kind of encouraging people to be mindful of how we can continue to kind of operate within this ethic of care, even as, you know, we, we kind of come back to campus. And so let's be attuned uh, to the fact that coming back to campus is going to mean different things for different folks. And, and so recognizing, you know, that it'll be on a spectrum. So some folks are going to be, you know, really, really excited and kind of are going to be raring to go. But there are also folks who are going to be rightfully so, you know, a little apprehensive. And, you know, they're, they're, it's going to take some time for them uh, to kind of get back in the rhythm of being in, you know, kind of all of these one-on-one meetings and kind of constantly being in and out, uh, you know, spaces and uh, kind of interacting with all of these different faces. And so part of, you know, I, I think at least for us at UOBO is, again, we've been having conversations of how can we continue to operate within this ethic of care, recognizing that folks are still going to be uh, dealing with a number of issues as we try to kind of establish and figure out what our new normal uh, is going to be. That was Marcus Langford, Dean of Students at the University of Oregon, which you can find at uoregon.edu. And follow Marcus on Twitter, where he's at Marcus R. Langford. Thank you for listening to In Your Element, brought to you by Element 451 and part of the Enrollify podcast network. You can find more about the Element 451 Student Engagement CRM at element451.com. And if you like what you heard, please give us a rating and review. Follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Erin Newton, and we'll see you next time on In Your Element.